Hello again and welcome to another episode of College Football Down Under. My name is Aaron Kemp and as always I am joined by Will Murden in the new office this time. Will, how's it going? I'm good, mate. Yeah, we're in the booth for the first time together. Uh, it should be good fun. I'm looking forward to it. It's good. Good to be back together and uh, we haven't actually kind of produced any content for what feels like a little while, a couple of weeks I suppose. Um, I mean, there's not, there is actually a little bit of news for probably the first time in a little while in college football, so that'll be exciting. We'll get to that. Um, we will also have a look at a few other bits and pieces and Will's opinion on the state of college football and what it looks in this crazy COVID world. And then we are going to continue on with what 2020 would be in 2020 hindsight. This is Will's baby, a bit of a play on words here, uh, so we'll have a bit of it. A chat about that and I'll get to that in uh, a second but before we do a couple of bits of news uh, as we dive right in unless yeah, you've got anything in, like yeah. I mean yeah I, I don't I don't know what, like I don't do anything anymore dude I'm like a fucking 30 year old going through the motions you're like well got, over 30 now oh, just quietly calm down but I'm disappointed we're skipping over it I know our loyal listeners out there like a bit of banter to begin with they like to see yeah. what we've been up to and you're all business like, I, I am I've got to apologize I'm really getting into the COVID spirit okay like I uh I've got this whole covid voice going on pretty sure i don't have the rona but yeah you know every, everyone's talking about it i just want to be part of it don't want to be left out so i, I thought i'd put this on for, for all of our fans today I, I don't okay i don't rate it no I, don't, <laughs> I would rather be without it too to be perfectly honest but i must apologize i do sound like a bag of dicks today so you do uh good to see the little one haven't seen your little one for a while up and about talking relentlessly yeah uh, I, I don't know it's like communication for most humans is like a two-way thing and and i feel like it, it, on some level for infants it is but really f- for a two and a half year old that's just not the case they just nah. talk at you yeah exactly she just wanted to show off mate she hadn't seen you in a while she's yeah. learned all these new words so. yeah it's like she can say yellow pretty convincingly now <laughs> indeed which is good um yeah and apart from that i you know it's it's international hack day that i've just found out as yeah, well you got so a bit like, going on there yeah, yeah like email hacking my passwords and threatening to release uh videos of a sensitive nature which would be <laughs> compromising ho- video <laughs> yeah horrifyingly embarrassing oh, i just hope they get. send it to me first <laughs> because it's going straight up on our instagram page oh that would be such a sad, sad <laughs> existence for me. Uh, anyway, so some news before we do uh, start. Yeah, we, well, I mean, we need to keep people up to date with what's happening. There's so much uncertainty and, and we've been a bit uh, all over the shop with releasing it. I know we're, we're both really keen to get into the conference previews, but we, we also want to know a little bit more about what it looks like, when it's going to start and all of that. So that's starting to kind of slowly come into play. We know a bit more now, so we'll, we'll get into that. We'll, we'll try and get everyone up to speed with what we know. Uh, it is changing all the time, but... I don't know. It's, it's all right. Well, let, let's jump in. You're, you're all over this kind of conference schedule stuff, and we're only going to stick to the Power Five at this stage. Uh, we know that the Pac-12 and Big Ten made their announcements in regards to it being conference only a couple of weeks ago. The ACC, SEC, and the Big Twelve have recently announced statements around their scheduling and what that's going to look like. Um, I'll touch on the ACC, but if you want to dive in with 
your wealth of knowledge around the Pac-12, Big Ten, Big 12, and SEC? Yeah, okay. So the uh, Pac-12 and Big Ten, as you said, kind of led things off to begin with uh, coming out and saying that they're going to be playing conference only. Uh, So we've seen that there. And with that, we've got the Big Ten who are still a little bit coy on what they're doing. So they've said conference only, but we don't know anything more. So we don't know when and we don't know how many games are going to be played across that slate. Whereas uh, in the SEC and the Pac-12, they've both gone the same direction. So they're playing 10-game conference only starting September 26th, all going well. Uh, and yeah, it, it's it's just those 10 games within the conference. The SEC... There's I only got, one buy yes. put in for each team, which seems to go against the grain a little bit of what they're recommending with the NFL and with other colleges potentially is if you can build in a, a couple more bye weeks just to give you some flexibility within your schedule. Uh, rather than having to cancel games, you can shift and move them. Uh, which the Pac-12 will not have that luxury, it looks like, if they're going to run with a one-buy system only. Correct, correct. And that's what it looks like at the moment. So the Pac-12 football schedule is out, and you can have a look at that one there. So there's some really good matchups there. I mean, that's going to be good fun. We've, we kind of focus a lot on what we're losing in some of the big non-conference stuff, but mm-hmm. it is also going to open up some conference matchups that we wouldn't have seen previously. So I think that's going to be a, a whole lot of fun, uh, especially in the SEC, because we kind of often bag them for having a cruisy run like a, a lot of the time it'll come down to what your crossover looks like and, and how you get out of there where this time we're going to get to see uh, uh, most of the matchups so that one will be really really good uh, the big 12 are still undecided so they had a big meeting last friday and were unable to walk away with a consensus on the back of that so they were re- re-meeting monday which will be today tomorrow uh in the states to try and finalize that and it seems like they're fighting over whether it's going to be a 10-game full conference slate plus one out of conference or whether they go the full 12-game uh, slate as they would have normally. Obviously, this time round, there's not going to be any Power 5 matchups because no one else is playing out of conference. So they would just be taking on Group of 5 or Div, Div 2 or FCS schools. Yeah, I find it interesting that you know, a, a lot of these scheduling decisions are made on the basis of reducing movement, right? And and in reducing movement, you reduce the risk of transferring the, the virus. But I find that some of the out-of-conference stuff, like to me, a logical one, you know, you've got Iowa in the Big, uh, in the big 10, you've got Iowa State in the Big 12. Those two teams can't play each other, even though geographically they're quite close together. Mm. Whereas you've then got somewhere like Boston College traveling all the way down to Miami to play. But because they're in the same conference, obviously it's less of an issue. So there are some inconsistencies here. Obviously, we don't we don't know a lot and nobody does and, and how this is going to look moving forward. So um, I guess conference only is the best way you can do it. On yeah, the eight. That, I mean, there has been talk in the Big 12 that they keep their non-conferences in state where possible yeah, as well. Yeah, which is, yep, and that's but also been suggested by the ACC it, as well. It's going to be tough. Like Oklahoma, outside of, you know, OU, OSU, you look Tulsa. at Tulsa, and then what? You know, Western Oklahoma. State. Yeah, Oklahoma. Boys, piano A&T, school. Yeah, Oklahoma A&T. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I mean, I, I guess it brings back, it does bring back some other nice matchups though. You're looking at Texas and A&M. 
Well, potentially not, no, because it's uh, SEC's Season, a conference yeah, only. Okay. So I, I think it could have been done a bit better if there was more collaboration. There's there's a lot of people kind of looking out for their own interests, which makes sense. But yeah, we're, we're not going to get to see any of that sort of stuff. It, it will we'll still see. It, I guess if you go Oklahoma, Texas, and and try and keep stuff in there or whatever it is. Uh, we're still to see that on the Big 12. So what do you got for the ACC? Uh, so ACC has done the same as what these uh, a couple of the other conferences have done and have gone ACC conference only plus one, uh, but it must be a geographically logical team. I don't know that they've said in state specifically, but it must be, you know, geographically, it must make sense. You're not heading out to the West Coast. Exactly. Uh, the other big interesting one is that the ACC has included Notre Dame in their schedule, which now Notre Dame are a part member of the ACC for football or they're a member for football, but not for lots of other sports. I think they're a member in baseball in the big 10. So you're saying they are a member for football or or a part member. So they've got a, they've got to play six ACC games or something, but they're not eligible to play for the championship. Um, and then on top of that, they've got their games that they play every year against USC, Stanford, uh, Michigan. I can't remember who else they play in their kind of rivalry matchups, but they've got a few. Uh, and that and, changes this year. And, right. And being aligned to a conference doesn't give them that flexibility of which the Irish um, do take very seriously and very proudly as a school and as an independent. But I, I think there's a few ACC people that aren't really happy that the ACC has accommodated Notre Dame and yeah, we'll see some of their TV revenue, but if they just then flip back to independence, I think that's really, really frustrating from an ACC perspective who are looking for another big marquee school and landing a school like Notre Dame in conference would be a massive coup for them. And I think that they would really, really like to bring them on board as a full-time member. I think you're right, but I, I, I hope Notre Dame can push it this year and make it to that championship game because it is a bit crazy for them yeah. being in there. It, it is a bit strange. So, yeah, I don't I, know. I mean, I, I just don't really love it as a Miami fan. Like, I'm okay having Notre Dame. Don't get me wrong. The Miami-Notre Dame rivalry was big, you know, going well back and, and would continue to, I think, grow and flourish in this new age. But I just don't like that we're accommodating something that is giving us very little. Like, we're like the guy who gets called up on Tuesday and we're allowed to hang out with that hot girl if we buy the food and, you know, we pay for the drinks and maybe then she'll think about, you know, maybe... Outside the pants. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then the smoking hot dude will come around and just ream her nonstop. And anyway... Um, so I think that's a bit of a frustrating one, but I'd like to see Notre Dame actually commit. Uh, but yeah, uh, the other discussion that has been happening, and we'll try and keep these pretty brief, is pushing games to the spring. This has its own set of issues, particularly around players choosing to opt out, not necessarily for COVID reasons, but more around the draft and whether those elite players can look to play you know if they're not draft eligible then they'd be looking at playing two seasons in a calendar year and if they are eligible then you know players like trevor lawrence do they have uh much point in playing in a season like uh, that would bleed into and blend into the draft at that point um and there are some some issues around that although 
I don't see that as being a real threat, but your thoughts on spring football? Well, I saw David Pollock of ESPN come out and put forward the case that uh, FCS football could be played in the spring and that that shouldn't just be a pandemic thing, that that could be a permanent move there. And I really like it. I really like the idea of having the second tier down of football played uh, in the spring because then you've got football for a longer period of time. It's more exposure for those kids. These kids really, like the percentage of them who are going, who would be impacted and going on to the NFL would be much, much smaller. Minuscule. It, it, it's next to nothing. It's just the elite. And then I guess it kind of becomes a bit of a, those kids probably won't play there. If they are there for a year, they're more likely to transfer out than they would be now, and they are, that's already pretty high. But I think it would be great exposure for the schools. There's going to be a hell of a lot more people watching because they're the only thing, the only football that would be on at that, that point in time. Uh, in terms of what we see this year, if it's what we have to do and they can make it work, I'm cool with that. You know, it's... I don't mind. I really hope we can get full football up. I think it can still happen. I think there's going to be, you know, a rocky road like we're seeing with the AFL, but they're making it work uh, here in Australia. I think it's probably difficult to compare because we've just got so fewer cases here in Australia than what they do over there. It's not as ingrained everywhere except for Victoria. Um, so I, I, I am not against spring football in this case I think there's obviously going to be a whole heap of players who sit out uh, and and all those who are looking to to move on to the NFL so it will be a bit of a diluted product but I'd still be on board to get around it for sure okay uh, there's a few other things you'd have to compete with baseball um, <laughs> yeah cares. I, mean, I mean well no one cares about baseball. FCS versus yeah I know but just something <laughs> to consider um especially with the Marlins being wiped out as a team where they got like 60% of their players that are COVID positive now. Anyway, uh, a couple of other things. The Pac-12, um, well, not the Pac-12 itself, but the players are making a whole heap of noise to the point of making certain demands around opting out of the college football season. Now, we've already seen NFL players opt out for health reasons, medical reasons, uh, and that. And also just for own personal safety reasons, uh, which they are entitled to do. Obviously, around the professionalism in that sport, it gives them abilities to do that. College football probably doesn't have, or college football players don't quite have the power that NFL players do. But regardless of that, the Pac-12 players are saying that they believe that they should be entitled to some form of compensation or should be eligible to opt out. Um, I know you're quite strong on this, Will, and you know, is this actually a COVID health-related thing or is this a an opportunistic group in terms of players making demands on the NCAA? Hashtag we are united. So that one has dropped and for, for me, it's very much the latter there. It feels like a really opportunistic uh, on the back of the current atmosphere of change, which I think is great. They are taking that and using it more for their own sort of gain around what they want to see happen in college sports. Do I think we should have some change and that players are entitled to more than what they're getting now? Certainly. Absolutely. I think 
that is a conversation that needs to be had. And I think it is happening at the moment. I think this offseason, more than any in the past, there's something that's been introduced to enable players to potentially profit from their likeness that we've never really seen before for this, this amateur status. And I, I think things are moving in the right direction. And then when we see something like this at at this point in time when things are so hard up for a lot of these institutions, and, and I know it's tough to cry poor to some of these schools that are so wealthy, but that's not all of them. Some of them are going to be doing it really tough. Some of them might not make it out as a football program or as a you know a college institution that wants to put on sports based on the impact that we have here. And I think it's kind of, it's frustrating to see these players take that and, and reading through it. And I, I do recommend people have a look at, at what's been put there and, and ha- make your own judgment of it as you will. But they're, they're really pushing for some a piece of the pie for the players. They're, they're saying that they're kind of getting used and abused uh, for, you know, our entertainment. But the scholarship that they get is an opportunity. And in my eyes, you know, you're, everyone who, who gets that opportunity is incredibly lucky. And there are so many uh, students, high school students across the country every year who would kill for the opportunity to play at these programs that they're playing at. And, and they, they miss out on that opportunity. They're, they're not athletically gifted enough to, to get that full ride scholarship at a prestigious college where you get your degree paid for, where you get your food paid for, where you get, uh, you know, the athletic training that elite people get that provides you an opportunity to potentially make a career out of it. I mean, all of this is opportunity in my eyes. And I think when you start to look at it as an opportunity for me to be making money, it's more, well, perhaps we should do away with the need for college athletes and provide a, a path for people to enter in the NFL that's not through universities, be it a, a feeder league or whatever it is that younger kids can go straight from high school to. They can make some money and do that if, if that's what they want to do. I think the whole college system is brilliant in providing that education or at least providing the structure to enable people to get their, their college degrees. I mean, we'd be stupid to think that all players who are going to college are all that focused on on their attention that they do it because they know that they could potentially go pro in the NFL or they do it because that's what they love to do they, they love football and they've gone around that and the education is just kind of something that happens in the background and they'll make sure they keep their grades so that they can keep playing football but at the end of the day if you can walk out with a degree based on the fact that you've got these athletic talents it's potentially setting you up in life for something that you certainly wouldn't have had otherwise. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of points there around um, what is fair and equitable from a from a playing group standard. And I know that without diving too much into the financials of college football, but we know it's big business. We know there's lots of money there. And we know that college players, a one-year kind of ticket for them is, you know, at a high-profile Division One school could be somewhere between sixty-five, dollars to $100,000 per year in all of those different aspects that you were mentioning and you have a look at some of the high academic performers at not outside of football that go into a law degree or a research degree or something like that and they might get a three thousand dollar scholarship and have to pay for everything else themselves so there's certainly inequality there so i do understand that it is quite difficult 
to sympathize in some respects with these players. But then on the other hand, you know, these schools are making billions of dollars or, you know, certainly hundreds of millions of dollars because of the students that are there that they do take advantage of and use their physical attributes and their bodies and then give them a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of what they are responsible for pulling in. So I do understand it, but hey, that's capitalism in lots of ways. Anyway, we'll try and blitz through these last ones, but there is, speaking of of that, there's a bit more noise around the NCAA and and is the NCAA as a non-for-profit um, guard dog of college football are the days of that particular institution coming to an end uh, as the as the conferences start to look to hold even more power over the administrative body yeah i've I've seen that and you and I kind of talk about this off air i I do not like the NCAA and a lot of their antiquated ways but at the same time I do appreciate the structure that we have there I think college football is such a great product and it does need an overarching body to kind of keep things together keep things in line provide some structure around certain things we, we don't want certain conferences just to really be able to do their own thing and and branch away and and I guess create like inequality across it because I think that would really be disappointing if you were to have say the Pac-12 breakout and say yep we're allowing all of our players 50% of revenue uh, from the conference, we no, you no longer have an even playing field a, across the board. I mean, the re- recruitment to those East Coast schools would go through the roof and they would essentially become a pseudo pro-light sort of league because the players are making tens, hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, around that. So the, the model that we have at the moment isn't perfect. We know that, you know, there's some massive programs at the top and, you know, it's it's not it, the the equity is not shared across the board, but at least you have a national product. At least you have something that enables you every year to have these different conferences have their storylines and then have that entwined together towards the end of the year where we have the what is now the playoff to to have that and i think that would all go away if we if we didn't have the ncaa Do you think, as really? body. I, I i i think there's that risk i think yeah maybe i don't know i think the ncaa did its job really really well and continues to do so in the more minor sports where athletics is athletics it's not big business. So you take away football and basketball at the big schools and you look at what collegiate athletics is really about when you look at tennis programs or volleyball programs or rowing programs and it's simply student athletes going in, training to be the best they can be and looking to have success at the end of the year. It's done outside of the spotlight most of the time and it's all about development and making better people. And I think... Uh, the NCAA, as college football has grown, it has also um, turned into a, a big, giant, financial, economic, capitalist monster a little bit, which the NCAA is struggling to keep on its leash. And uh, it never designed it to be that way, but that's the way it's heading. A uh, couple more things. Kirk Ferentz, still in hot water at Iowa, based on racial inequality. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, the the Iowa way is really under the the spotlight here. So they had an external review come in and they were found that they had 
some certain uh, breaches of of what was deemed as appropriate, I suppose, but none of it significant enough for any real repercussions of the coaching staff that they have there. So they had their strength uh, and conditioning coach who they've uh, parted ways with now. And there's kind of interesting light there where some people were saying, well, yeah, he was the problem and you know, now he's gone. There's, there's not an issue at Iowa, but a lot of people are also saying, well, no, that's not the case. It's much bigger than one, go- one racist guy here. There, there's a deeper issue at play in Iowa. So I think they've, they've done the review. They've, they should hopefully benefit from it. I know reading the statements that have come out from Kirk Ferentz, he's learned a lot throughout this process. He, he now has probably seen a lot of things that he took for granted or didn't understand as much and the impact that that was potentially having. So he'll be wiser for that. And I'm hoping that as a program, they can kind of grow and, and build and everyone can feel appreciated and enjoy their time there. Yeah, I mean, I don't have too much of an opinion on it, but, uh, you know, I think it's it's odd to see in this day and age something so big and in terms of a storyline and in terms of a socio situation that leads to no doubt a political ethical moral situation hasn't seen the removal or stepping down of kirk ferentz so mm. more news to come here um the last bit of, a little tidbit i do have is harvey updike died and he was the alabama crazy that poisoned the trees on tumors corner after they won or lost i can't actually remember um against auburn and uh yeah he was found guilty i believe of that particular crime um which was announced on otherwise, the Paul bomb. otherwise you're just slandering some guys yeah i mean obviously yeah um but he's passed away if you haven't heard it just google it and the the uh, radio because he called up a radio station to to kind of say or admit or boast that he did that and it's quite an interesting thing. So if you want to have a listen to that. Anyway, that was just a big part of... I just remember him being a big part of my early experiences with college football, I guess. Yeah, I mean, for those who don't know, it is the insanity that is one fan who has gone ahead and poisoned a bunch of century-old trees that mean a hell of a lot to one fan base because... That was he was driven to it by his hatred of that team, which kind of speaks a lot for how they feel in Alabama about their college football teams. For sure. All right. Uh, before we get into our 2020 hindsight section, just a couple of quick questions for you, or just one really, around what does a national championship look like this year? So before we dive into some crap that we've made up, I just want to have a bit of a chat about, well, let's say, okay, conference schedules, goes go ahead, people play varying levels of games because no doubt based on what we've seen at AFL level, at Major League Baseball, is that people are going to test positive. It's going to wipe out entire teams, maybe not teams, but certainly units within a team probably. Maybe the entirety of Ohio State's defensive backfield gets wiped out for a fortnight. Maybe the entire offensive line at, I don't know, Oklahoma State or Iowa State or whatever gets removed for for a fortnight. What happens then? What happens if you can't put a product on the field? At what point does it become unsafe? Or at what point does it become that you ignore a particular result because third string 
quarterback at, you know, NC State, Slappy McGovern, has had to front up and just get absolutely creamed by Marvin Wilson in the Florida State offensive, uh, defensive line. And, and what, like, what, what do we do then? And then is NC State, you know, no longer able to compete for their conference championship or, or not necessarily the conference, but certainly a high bowl game? Or if what if it happens to Alabama or Clemson where the entire offense gets wiped out for a fortnight and they get creamed by Syracuse? Then what? I mean, they're not playing Syracuse, but Arkansas then. Firstly, I like that you kind of said multiple questions and then said no one question but then within that well, one question, question there's a lot of questions I guess I guess what does a national questions. championship look like I suppose that's kind of what I want to know do we go back to the BCS that's what I want to know do we go back to computers and AP votes and stuff before I can answer that I just want to give a shout out to uh, Bailey Hockman who is <laughs> actually the third string quarterback at NC State <laughs> not slappy whoever you mentioned but uh, <laughs> I mean yeah it, it's so hard to make statements around it because there's just so many variables with what we see and as you mentioned we know all we know is that we don't know at this stage uh, there's there's going to be impacts of this felt by teams, by units, by conferences, the whole deal. It's hard enough to predict when it's all clean and when, you know, none of this is at play, let alone with this thrown in over the top. So I think what we will say, see is more fluctuation in win losses this year. I think you're going to have more uncertainty in results. I think there's going to be more upsets around it and it's going to make it incredibly difficult to have a four-team playoff where without any out-of-conference matchups, you've got nothing to gauge the strength of one conference against another outside of what you've seen in playing each other. So, I mean... Knowing what we know, it's just going to be the Pac-12 that's left out because it always is. Yeah. And then they'll take the, the champ of each conference. Yeah, will they though? Like, I feel like the argument's going to come that, you know, a, a one-loss SEC team... We're going to be back to where we were in the Stone Ages where, you know, a one- or two-loss SEC team is going to be better than, you know, a, a zero-loss Big 12... No, a one-loss Big 12. Like... And, and we're back here again, which we always get every year, but at least there's more games, there's a bigger sample size. And what happens when games get cancelled? Like, is six games enough to make a judgment on a team and declare a national champion? Or are we just going to have 7,000 UCFs? Like, is there going to be like 18 teams that are like, yeah, national champions 2020? I think it's that, actually. <laughs> yeah. There's going to there's gonna be a lot of national championship merchants. What we need to get in the game of is producing these shirts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do we start to mass produce these shirts? Because you're not just going to have the one or two teams, because normally you'd have the two and half would end up in Africa. Yeah. Now there's going to well, be the like... the team, the, the shirts. <laughs> correct. Now you're going to have like, yeah, 20, 30 teams who are undefeated 6-0 and oh, and we've done it. 2020 COVID <laughs> chance, baby. Yeah, exactly. Good. Exactly. So yeah, anyway, just a little bit of a chat. Okay. So let's go 2020 hindsight. This is your brainchild. Talk us through exactly. I kind just of came this. up with the name. This, is, this was your idea. I just think the name's clever. Well, I guess this year has been, you know, fucked. So in hindsight, we would do it again. Well, there's some people that wouldn't, maybe like Satan and Hitler, but <laughs> like the rest of us will probably do that again. So 
I was thinking, what are some other things over the course of college football history that people or teams or anybody around the sport would have done things differently if they could have? And I'm hoping there's some more humor here. This has been pretty dry so far, so let's spark this up a bit. I know you put some time and effort into this. So you've got a couple more than me, so I'll let you kick this off. But if you were someone or something in college football, what would you have done with hindsight done differently so college football um, i'm dialing it back we're starting back 1970s oh i thought you were gonna go like 1869 no, 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 not that far like back when but. yale played <laughs> princeton in a game that went to 3-2 or something and seven people died I'm talking 1970s and i'm the uh athletic director at uh southern methodist university oh god right oh, and we're god. doing all right <laughs> you are doing all right. got a pretty good program running yeah, we got a shit ton of cash. <laughs> we got these oil boosters who are just pumping in the money, and we're living large with it. We are out at the strip club, just dropping them bills, treating our players, just going large. And loose lips sink ships. <laughs> it does. We've got a fucking rat somewhere. <laughs> We've opened up. We've 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 had the circle too wide. We flew too close to the sun, and sure enough, uh, as history now tells us, the NCAA have caught us in uh, paying everyone <laughs> whatever they want. Yeah. <laughs> Eric Dickerson getting brand new gold Pontiacs or whatever he's rolling. <laughs> like we, the gold Pontiac was probably a bit much. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, if, if I had my time again here, just rein it in a little bit, boys. <laughs> everyone's doing it. We know everyone's doing it. Let's just not be the ones who are known for doing it. Yeah. Let's let another school get caught and maybe then we won't receive the death penalty and then not have a winning season for the next 20 years. Um, a really good ESPN 30 for 30, if you can get hold of it, is the Pony Excess, wasn't it? Pony Excess, um, based on the story of SMU and their excessive spending that led to inevitably the death penalty and the fainting of that ncaa administrator guy who just like read it and then passed out at the podium i was like oh god (laughs) um but tough sledding for smu okay i'm gonna go in a different direction i'm saying the big 10 when conference realignment happened sort of 2013 Mm -hmm. would have fucking left out (laughs) Rutgers. they would have gone a different direction so I know that money talks and, and Rutgers adds to the TV market, which is always what those conference realignments are about, is bringing in programs that are going to add to your TV market so you can get that big money from the, the TV revenue. Um, and that's all good, but it would be ideal if Rutgers was actually okay at football. Um, but they've gone 21 and 52 since joining the Big Ten in 2014. They've not won a single Big Ten game in three out of their six seasons so far. Um, And I think the Big Ten would have flicked them very quickly. I know they're an academic school. I know their basketball's okay. uh, But Notre Dame or Pitt probably would have been a bigger and better option for the Big Ten from a football perspective. I think if they had their time again, in hindsight, fucking the Big Ten would have got rid of the Scarlet Knights. Who are they taking? Pitt, Notre Dame. If Notre Dame would get on board, they would definitely take Notre Dame. That would be a no-brainer. Um, I think Pitt's not a bad answer. Um, maybe someone like... Who else is around the mark? West Appalachian Virginia? State? 
West, West Virginia. Virginia, but the, I don't know how they go from an academic standpoint. I'm Not pretty great. sure. <laughs> like if you can eat the crayons in in rainbow order, I think you get in. So I, <laughs> I think that's why they're in the uh, Big Twelve, mate. Yep, <laughs> fit right in. <laughs> Perfect. All right, there you go. You oh, must okay. have to hit me with a couple here. Okay, so. yeah, I got a couple of plays. Okay, yeah, plays good, good, good. That I think I we like could uh, redo. So. 2006 Rose Bowl, my favourite yeah. game all time, really what started my love of this wonderful sport. Seal the edge, is that what you're saying? Just keep a spy in. <laughs> Dude's been fucking running all over you all day. Vince Young, so those of you who aren't as obsessed with this game as we are... Uh, Particularly you. Uh, might, might not have seen it, but uh 2006 rose bowl which was a pseudo national championship game at the time number one usc versus number two texas longhorns uh, a couple of really high powered high profile teams going head to head and vince young at the height of his powers just had a day uh he was running passing all over him but mainly getting it done with his legs uh down fourth and ten ish yeah with 15 seconds yeah. to go. Yeah. I think he crossed the line with two on the clock or something. Yeah, I, I can't remember how many points down, but it was... They, know, needed, they a touchdown. needed a touchdown to win. And sure enough, drops back, rolls out, and then just kind of dances his way into the pylon. Pretty much untouched. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's been doing it all day. Yeah. Just put a spy in, keep focus on him, keep it in front of you. Oh, USC would love to have that one back. <laughs> yep. Uh, next one is uh, something that I quite enjoyed, but I'm sure <laughs> Oklahoma fans would like to have this one back. But the next year in the 2007 Fiesta Bowl, yeah. there was a massive upset uh, yeah, with quite a bit of embarrassment felt by the Oklahoma Sooners getting overturned by a plucky Boise State team on the back of some pretty good trick plays. <laughs> All of which uh, probably highlighted by a Statue of Liberty play that just went off, like, perfectly, without a hitch. It was a two-point conversion for the win. For the win. Yeah. If if OU had have just sent the blitz from the weak side, this one's done. Boise <laughs> looked fucking silly. Because he's turning that corner, and he can see what's playing out before him. And he could pick who he wants to blow up at that point. Uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, in the end, no. We get some good blocking on the edge uh, by the Broncos and the tailback walks his way in the end zone. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'd, is that so much a, a regrettable play by Oklahoma or just good play calling by Boise State? I mean, it was good, but it, they've kind of... You've got to live with that embarrassment. Yeah, I mean, I thought you were going to go a different direction with Oklahoma, like the dude who was... Uh, you know, captaining that Boomer Sooner wagon last year. Like, I thought, like, he might want that one back. <laughs> no, I thought that was awesome. I'm playing that one again. All right, no I'm, gonna I'm gonna stay in the the Big 12. And I'm gonna say, I feel like I've gone far more boring than you, but I'm gonna say Charlie Strong and Texas. That just never really got going. Um, Charlie Strong followed Mac Brown, who obviously was a legendary coach for the Longhorns. Um, he'd had success at Louisville with like Teddy Bridgewater and a whole bunch of other recruits from Florida because he does have ties to that area. 
Um, was known as a gun recruiter and was the guy to bring Texas back. He managed to go 16-21 and 21 as the head man and lasted just three seasons. On top of that, he received... Well, there was a lot of controversy that came out later saying that really not many of the Texas locals were particularly on board with their first black coach. Not making it a race issue, but say, call it what you want there. Um, but didn't really have the full support of everybody down there. And I think like if he'd waited an extra year at Louisville... He would have had Lamar Jackson arrive. I know, easy to say now. Uh, and then from there, could have put him in a position to go really anywhere. USC maybe um, came up not long after that. I don't know if he's a USC guy, if he wants to say more East, East Coast. Uh, LSU probably comes up with Ed Orgeron, um, who, who eventually wins the job there. But like... He had big raps at the time. Charlie Strong was the number one coach for that particular year. And I think uh, he, he he got that one wrong. And I think Texas got that one wrong as well. The fit just didn't seem right. And I know I'm going to talk about Miami, but he, he does have those Florida ties. And a lot of people said that he'd do really, really well in South Florida. So maybe him going down there after our golden was uh, unceremoniously dumped after a 58 nothing loss to Clemson that maybe he could have slid into that seat as well. Uh, all these jobs sort of came up the year after he chose Texas. Yeah, I mean, Texas is a big-time program, though. Like, you're not turning that down. That, that's that's one of the dream jobs. I think you, 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 you quickly find that it's not when you yeah. have to deal with the, the boosters and the power players behind the scenes in that environment. But from the outside, it looks like the dream job like it, it is it is one of the most prestigious programs in all the country one of the richest programs in all the country the richest program you, you're, you're gonna have everything that you need it's just you might not you have, need to win exactly <laughs> you right. need to win you need to win and you need to be doing things in a way that appease other people and if you're ruffling a few feathers then it, it's it's certainly not going to work for you uh, I also just don't think he's that great a coach. Yeah, I mean, there is that. There. there is that. I mean, he has, he's had a couple of good years with USF, um, you know, making championship. Had some pretty bad ones. Yeah, he has had some pretty bad ones. Um, but, you know, that's, that's what coaching is. And he's still not particularly old. So he'll get another shot, I would say, at... Maybe not a big school just yet, but if he can put another couple of decent seasons together and make some more noise, I could see him moving up into um, Power 5 head coaching job again. Okay. Well, while we're talking coaches, I'm going to give you my uh, coaching hypothetical here. Uh-huh. Back in 2006 again. Man, uh, you love going back to 2006. What was it about that year? You just uh, left school. Exactly right. Feeling good? Really riding high. <laughs> Peak. Yeah, yeah. Peak. Uh, so we had uh, Rich Rodriguez. Yeah. One of the hottest coaching names available at the time. Air was, Raid guy. Was coaching at West Virginia. Yeah. And word has it that Alabama were interested. They were, yes. In, correct. In hiring Rich Rod. Yeah. He, however, decided, no, I'm going to run it back for another year at West Virginia. And Alabama then go on and grab this guy who'd been struggling in the NFL by the name of Nick Saban. Nick Satan, did you say? Who has who has done a pretty decent job. Yeah, he has. Yeah. In the following 14 years. So in this hypothetical, I'm saying West Virginia say, Richard, don't want you, mate. <laughs> Take the fucking Bama job. Get out of here. 
We will take this bloke who's a West Virginia native. Yeah, okay. We will take Nick Saban. And then it would be West Virginia <laughs> that we're talking about as this beast of a football program. Oh, the amount of couches that would have been burned. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so imagine, yeah, that, that's my uh, hypothetical there. That is, that's interesting. That's, that's good gear. Um, Rich Rod was, where did he go next? He ended up at Arizona, he was Arizona for a point. And struggled there. Yeah, he it did. Was Michigan. He took the Michigan yeah, job. Yeah, he did and too. That was where he really flamed it. And the air raid fell in a bit of a hole there. Yeah. Was he the coach responsible for losing to App State? Was uh, that him or was that Brady Hoke? <laughs> I don't know. No, it probably was Rich. I don't know. I can't get my dates right. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway. Uh, interesting. The last one that I've got, this is... Wow, I've got a lot of Big 12 stuff here. I'm going uh, someone who definitely would have done things differently in hindsight was Jenny Carlson. Who's Jenny Carlson? Who's Jenny Carlson? You, well, she is a very, well, what is famous, elicited an extremely famous response. Uh, it was in regards to a piece of journalistic writing that she made about Bobby Reed. Who's Bobby Reed? Okay, who's Bobby Reed? Uh, this was all, oh, you should know this one because he was a starting quarterback for the Oklahoma State Cowboys. I should know this. You should know this. Uh, he was benched and a an article was written about Reed by Jenny Carlson to which Mike Gundy did not take to particularly well. Well, yeah, but the, the editor's garbage. <laughs> the editor's garbage. So they've, well, they've just beaten um, Texas Tech and Mike Leach is the head coach at that particular point in time. So you think if you're a reporter, you're going to the Texas Tech press conference because that's where the good gear is going to be nah you hear Mike Gundy give one of the biggest best tirades uh, in all of college football history and just served her up and the fact that he mentioned that he has a penis and he's 40 I mean what a guy he's a man (laughs) he's a man and he was 40 he's not anymore but Jenny Carlson probably wishes she could have had that article back and written, rewritten it because I don't think uh, that she would have slept real well that night. Yeah, that was one of the uh, one of the great tirades in uh, all of sporting history. I think. That's, yeah, that's a ripper. All right, uh, I'll finish things off here. Uh, since, since you're coming at my program, I might have a bit of fun with oh, yours. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, so the umpire, the referee. In, this is where this is going. <laughs> that's isn't exactly it? Oh, where it's going. God. In hindsight. Cornerback 2003, Glenn Sharp. At, yes, uh, correct. At the U. If he could just keep his hands inside oh. the <laughs> Rather than trying to tackle the bloke while he's making a catch, uh. keep his hands inside the numbers whilst pressing. Just work on that technique a little bit. He might have found that the ref would have been less likely to flag him there. And Miami would have gone on to win that. What was it? championship game it was the national championship game against Ohio State yeah 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 so in one of the uh, most highly controversial penalty decisions of all time well then the ref came out in a press conference that week and said he blew the call 
and it was real late today. Yeah, there wasn't there. <laughs> like, Ohio like, State players were crying on the field <laughs> and shit. Yeah. And then it was the full, like, Robin Hood men in tights. Wait, he gets another shot. <laughs> yeah. He gets another shot. It's in the script here. <laughs> yeah. So, I think if Glenn Sharp could just... Oh, uh, can we... F- Tighten it up a I little bit. You going to go the ref. I thought you were going to go the referee <laughs> angle, which would have been nice, but you haven't because you're a piece of shit. Ah, uh, yeah. Ah, uh, wow. Well, I mean, at least, at least we're in the national championship. Yeah, I think the flag came out. I'm pretty sure Miami players were like the entire bench had cleared. The and band then the flag. was on the field. <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> so fucked. Anyway, um, have you got any last ones you would like to add around the horn one more time? Maybe like the dude who got headbutted by Bevo. Um, no, I mean, if Bama could probably take it overtime rather than try and bang a 57-yarder. <laughs> probably just take the win in OT, boys, but... Grace Davis! <laughs> uh, this has been fun. I won the football game. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, that commentary gets me every time. Um, yeah, I mean, really good. Good gear. So, that I mean, that brings us to the end of our 2020 Hindsight show. Now, hopefully, we will be back together um, and getting involved in some conference preview stuff, I hope, at some stage soon. Uh, but, I mean, we'll be here anyway. However long this off-season takes, we'll be here. Um, when we get something in a little bit more concrete, we will start our conference previews. Of course, concrete is uh, not something that's setting particularly well in this particular uh, trip around the sun so uh, it's too warm or too cold I don't know wet I don't when you're talking concrete dude I don't know yeah well, uh, well <laughs> you we are, are out yeah yeah uh, definitely so on that please make sure that you do uh, hit us up at CFB Down Under at uh, on Instagram and on Twitter make sure you you know hit Will up in a DM he loves responding to the fans um, so get in touch there please tell all your friends about us leave us a five star review make sure you hit subscribe on your pod capture uh, application of choice and on behalf of that guy over there finally in the same room again Will Murden my name's Aaron Kemp and we will see you next time mm-hmm.